Hi, Tony Hines here, and you're listening to the News Roundup. All things impacting global supply chains this week. Well, it's about that time of year when shipping companies, retailers, and all sorts of businesses begin to publish the 2022 figures. And shipping companies are quite interesting because they had really high prices for their container boxes and their shipping rates during 2022 in the early part, but then they started to decline in the final two quarters. And Maersk has published its figures this week. Now this week, Maersk has presented quarter four 2020-22 figures. Overall profits are high, and that's not a surprise to anybody. We were expecting high profits because we've seen how high the prices have been for shipping rates in the past year, but they have started to fall. Maersk profits came in at 29 billion US dollars. Earnings before interest tax came in at 36.8 billion. That's the EBITDA figure. Maersk itself has said there's a downturn in the industry, and they say that profits will fall in the next year. They think the risk of falling profits is fairly high. Volumes declined by 14% in the fourth quarter of 2022, year on year. And that's, for Maersk alone, the decline according to the whole industry is around about 8.5%. And the reason for this is that Maersk is quite heavily exposed to the east-west trades, and that's probably impacted their profitability more harshly than elsewhere. The east-west trade, according to Maersk, is down by about 19.2%. So that's far east to Europe and far east to North America. Maersk has about 44% of their volume exposed to east-west trades, according to commentators. And it's seen global volumes decline 14%. So reading beneath the figures that are published this week, Maersk has probably lost a bit of market share to some other businesses. Now, you might recall British Vault were a company that was set up to provide electric car manufacturers with a British battery. And that's to meet the compliance standards of manufacture that so much of a car has to be British made in the UK. So the idea of British Vault seemed a really good one. And of course, the government, UK government, that is, was set to put in money to the company to sustain its position in the future, and they were boastful about that. But unfortunately, the cash ran out, which I reported in the Chain Reaction podcast a week or two back, and British Vault has had to close, and it's losing the workforce. And it's up in the northeast of England, in a an area that's close to the Nissan factory up there, and it's surprising that none of the car companies really came to the rescue either. But this week I was reading that there is a bid in for British Vault from an Australian company wanting to manufacture EV batteries in the UK. So perhaps that's going to save the future of what was British Vault. Now there are lots more optimistic forecasts around this week about inflation peaking and becoming lower by mid-year. And that follows the Bank of England's statement raising interest rates and the other comments made by the Governor of the Bank of England last week. And so it's likely that 
With interest rates falling, costs will begin to fall for businesses and for consumers. And there are a lot more optimistic forecasts from retailers about food price inflation, saying that they're likely to come down as the year progresses. So things are looking much better. And the other thing that came out this week about recession, saying that Britain may well go into a recession, but they don't expect it to be deep and they don't expect it to be long. But some other forecasters are saying it's unlikely that Britain will go into recession. So that'll be interesting to see. And maybe the IMF, with its forecast of negative growth, will have to revise their assessment. So, not all bad news. Well, it can sometimes appear that the United States appears paranoid when it comes to China. There's been various spats through the World Trade Organization in recent months, and it's been going on a number of years. It's not just in recent months, but it's about all kinds of relationships. And obviously, the technology market is one of the concerns, and it's to do with chips and microchips, and that gets a lot of press coverage. And we've talked about it here, and you'll have heard me talk about it in last week's News Roundup. But one thing that I talked about earlier in the year was the rare earth metals that are needed to create the energy supply chains of the future. And those rare earth metals are mainly processed through China. They dominate, absolutely dominate those markets. And that's what everybody ought to be concerned about, is domination and concentration, because what's actually happening is a monopoly is being built. And if not a monopoly, certainly an oligopoly, which will ensure that whoever controls those rare earth metals in terms of the processing will be able to hold the world to ransom when it comes to the parts that go into electric battery and car production. So if we think oil is a cartel at present, well, you want to think about these rare earth metals. And we need policies and we need investment that creates those businesses to process rare earth metals in other parts of the world, not just in China. It's a sensible policy for China. It's what they have been investing in for years. They've slowly invested and they've dominated those markets. But it's time for the world to wake up. Now, there was another piece of news that caught my eye this week, and that's the notion of data warehouses. I just read a little piece about data warehouses, and it struck me that we've got lots of them, and we're all reliant on these data warehouses spread throughout the globe, and we use them every day to access our emails and our data, and even our photographs, personal data. And so all your data is floating around somewhere on servers, which we call the cloud. And these data warehouses are physical places. So it's a physical place where the warehouses exist. And this is for our digital world. So if we think about this, and we think about those digital warehouses for a second, they consume lots of land because they take up vast amounts of land. There may be some near you. And they draw on resources because they have to be temperature controlled. They need lots of electricity to power them. And they usually need lots of water, which either provides the electricity through hydroelectrics green energy, or to keep plant cool. 
So, the digital world isn't all clean either. And in future, we just seem to be building more and more of these digital warehouses. So it's not just warehouses for our stock, our inventory, but for data, which I suppose is inventory, but it's digital inventory. And we don't really give that a thought, do we, that we have digital inventory. But there is a supply chain for digital inventory. Give that some thought. President Joe Biden delivered his State of the Union address during a joint meeting of Congress at the U.S. Capitol on February the 7th. U.S. manufacturing was one of the first things he addressed, and he was particularly keen to stress infrastructure and investment on cutting-edge production facilities and wants Congress to finish the job. He wants the U.S. to be a global manufacturing leader. And he said, for too many decades, we imported products and exported jobs. Now, thanks to all we've done, we're exporting U.S. products and creating American jobs. So he wants investment in manufacturing and in American jobs. He said that investment in recent years had contributed nearly 800,000 manufacturing jobs. He specifically wants microchips and science and the Inflation Reduction Act to be examples of his push towards a resilient manufacturing sector. And he wants to give tax incentives for domestically made electrical vehicles and components. He talks about the importance of Intel building a semiconductor factory campus, which is set to employ 10,000 workers. And he was emphasising reshoring, especially for critical supply chains, because he wants them to be more resilient against disruption, like those during the pandemic. And he doesn't want semiconductor shortages that were seen in recent years either. So this push to building resilient supply chains is still on the top of the president's agenda. President Biden said we're just getting started. It's up to Congress to finish the job. He said it's a blue-collar blueprint to rebuild America and make a real difference to lives. I was reading this week a story about charges for cars for electric vehicles. In many places there aren't enough of them. And that's going to stop the supply of those cars until they can actually produce the charges to go with them. But another thing that caught my eye, and this is probably a little bit more important, is that some chargers, for example, the Tesla chargers, they have a unique plug-in to the Tesla car. And so they can only be used by Tesla cars, even though there are many of those chargers. Now, from the company's point of view in supplying cars, that's fine, isn't it? But from a consumer point of view, for everybody that uses electric vehicles, are they expected to drive around in search of a unique connector that fits to their car? Because if that's the case, that's going to cause problems with the rollout of electric vehicles because consumers are going to be a little bit resistant if they can't have enough access to charging points for their brand of vehicle. And it struck me how similar this is to the proprietorial connectors that you get with phones such as the iPhone whereby you have to use the connectors if you want to hook up to Apple devices and it's not just Apple it's other proprietorial manufacturing arrangements and that's what's so good about computing with USB ports because I know USBs have gone through different changes USB 
one, two, three, and so on, and the different connectors A, B, C. But it's similar, isn't it, for car charging? You have to have universal charging points, otherwise the whole system is flawed. So, I wonder what governments will be putting in place to encourage electric vehicle manufacturers to make their charging points universal. I know that in Europe, for example, in the European Union, they essentially have insisted Apple devices will have to use USB chargers and USB connectors. So perhaps it will be the same for electric vehicle manufacturers. Only 13% of firms have supply chain visibility according to a Chartered Institute of Procurement and Supply and Deloitte report on visibility. The report said that just 13% can map their entire supply chain network and that up to 22% have no visibility beyond their immediate suppliers. So that's uh, disappointing, isn't it, if that is the case? And that's what the report says. Having visibility beyond Tier 1 suppliers, of course, has always been difficult, but most firms, certainly big firms, have worked hard to achieve Tier 1, Tier 2 visibility, and even Tier 3. But what happens when you get to Tier 4, Tier 5, or wider networks? If these figures are to be believed, that could be down to zero. So what are you doing to make your supply chain visibility improvements? If you're not doing anything, the message is, you should be. It's a way to achieve supply chain advantage. I was pleased to see the rail freight union in the United States was able to settle a long-standing dispute this week, and it was a satisfactory conclusion for the rail freight members where they've achieved paid sick leave. So, amongst other things. So I think that's a real victory. And I think it's good to see that sense applied in the end, and it shows what solidarity can do through trade union movements, and sometimes we need those to make people see sense. Well, some very sad news this week, wasn't there, with uh, earthquakes taking place in Turkey and Syria, many people losing their lives, and obviously even if people didn't lose their lives, their lives have been destroyed by the loss of shelter and access to resources that they would usually have. So just at the end of this particular episode this week, you'll see in the show notes some information about the opportunity to make a donation to the Turkey and Syrian fund. There may be more local sites for you in whichever part of the world you're in, but this particular site was specific to the UK and it's uh, HTTPS, so it's a safe site, and it's DEC, that's DEC, dec.org.uk. So if you'd like to make a donation, please go to that site and see how you can help. And uh, we wish everybody in that part of the world speedy recovery from the disaster. It just shows, of course, how natural disasters can strike anywhere, anytime. Well, that's it for this week. Don't forget, of course, to Drop by the website and pick up the latest editions that you've missed. And in particular, there's one out last week on plastic waste that I'm sure you'll want to listen to. 
And there's next week's episode, which is coming up, which is all about bananas. So I'm sure you might be interested in that too. Find out a little bit more about banana supply chains. Hope you've enjoyed the news roundup, and I'll see you next week when we can learn more about the news affecting global supply chains, and you can work on your supply chain advantage in the meantime. Bye for now. The Chain Reaction Podcast is written, presented and produced by Tony Hines. Hi, I'm Tony Hines. I'm here to tell you about the Chain Reaction Podcast, all about supply chain advantage. I've been researching and writing about supply chains for over 25 years. I wrote my first book on supply chain strategies in the early 2000s. Each week we have special episodes on particular topics relating to supply chains. And we have a weekly news roundup every Saturday at 12 noon. All things impacting global supply chains in that week. So come and join us on the Chain Reaction Podcast. I look forward to seeing you there. I'm Tony Hines. I'm signing off. Bye for now.